Hello and welcome to Pod Save the King, the podcast which aims to guide Britain into the 21st century through the use of discussion and debate. I'm Conor Stanislavskis and beside me is Alison Bally, Great Auntie and co-host. This episode will be exploring our society theme, discussing the economic differences between England and Scotland, as well as taking a deeper look into the religious differences and similarities between England and Scotland. Remember, you can listen to us on a walk, before a talk, in the park, or in the dark on your preferred podcast app or website. So, I think it's only right that we start with economic differences. Mm. Um, so, as we know, you know, Scotland get things like free university uh, fees. They obviously have a devolved parliament, um, which, you know, has the ability to, to make different laws and, you know, pass different legislation to that of England and other areas of the UK. Um, so what impact do we think this has on well, the differences? I think uh, the the fact that the, there's no tuition fees for students, you have to have lived in Scotland for three years prior to going to university, is a huge difference. It's a huge difference for young people that, you know, are just started out in life and have these huge debts I mean, purely from a tuition fee perspective only, that could be £27,000, and that's before living costs. Um, So, you know, that's a big burden, I would suggest, for a a young person of 21, who then has got 30 years to start paying it back. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if you want to try and get on the housing market as well. Certainly, yeah. And obviously we know that now, tuition fees for people in England and other areas of the UK have risen to £9,000 a year. Now, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, most people are taking out, obviously, student loans that that are worth, like, £50,000. That is a large sum of money. And do you think that's unfair that, you know, citizens of Scotland are kind of free from this burden compared to other areas of the UK? Well, I think, I think possibly the reason that it was introduced tuition fees are necessary in England is because the percentage of students that's actually going to university has risen massively in the last 20, 30 years. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine that proportionally, because obviously Scotland is a much smaller population, that they can perhaps support students... Uh, more easily than England can. Potentially, yeah, yeah. And if I believe, if, if I'm right, was it, it was it was Tony Blair and the Labour Party, wasn't it, that introduced tuition fees? And so the Labour Party slogan in 1997, or one of them, was education, education, education. And I think, even though that that was a noble thing to pursue at the time. Um, I think it became a bit of a national fixation whereby parents were thinking that if their child left school at 16 and went into a job, the life uh, prosperity was shortened or was not as good as if they'd gone to university. So I think it just changed the culture completely. And I think in some ways it created this feeling that if your child left school at 16, they were a failure. So it 
completely put its put the whole balance um, completely turned upside down and now we find ourselves that we're shortage of electricians and builders and plumbers because everybody's been focused on going to university so I think we have to rebalance society so that it's to, to have a, a an apprenticeship to have a, a trade is a good thing and quite often I'm sure this is the case although I've not actually evidenced it that tradespeople are probably earning significantly higher salary than somebody who's gone to university and is not able to pursue a career in the field that they studied. Yeah, very true. And obviously, as well as, you know, free university for Scottish people and, and other things like that, there are a, a wide range of um, things available to them. For example, free proscriptions, um, free dental care. Is there any more that, that, that I'm missing? Free care for the for the elderly, free hospital parking, free bus passes from the age of 60 compared to 66 in England. Um, I mean, the prescription charge in England now is just about, just under £10 per item. And that, that's, that's a fair amount of money for somebody who may not be able to afford yeah. you know, certain things. Yeah. Um, and obviously... So me and my auntie had a conversation before this and we was quite curious of, you know, how can the Scottish Parliament afford this? How can how can all this be available to the Scottish people when, you know, the UK government state that we can't afford it in England? And it, it led us to a, an online forum where, where university students, is what I'm assuming, kind of answer questions on there and interact with each other. And somebody paused this question. It was 11 years ago, but I'm sure the answer is still um, relevant today. And a Scottish a Scottish university student replied with something along the lines of, well, yeah, these things are free. These things are available to Scottish people. But I think what the kind of general consensus is that what the Scottish Parliament have actually done is they've kind of prioritised other things over others. So apparently transport system. if I'm wrong, any Scottish people can correct me, please, uh, with our email. But what, what, what they kind of made clear was that potentially transport systems may maybe weren't as good as they are in England. Um, many people apparently still pay for dentistry, even though it's free. Um, you know, paths and roads are quite damaged and broken and they're not being repaired as quick as they might, might do in England. So we are getting this thing where, although, yeah, they are getting free prescriptions, free university, free other things, bus passes, etc. Other things are being forgotten, hindered and kind of left behind. But it's a demonstration of devolution, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's a demonstration of a government saying, well, we're not going to be dictated to by Westminster. We're going to decide what we believe is the best policies for our population. And... Uh, I'm not quite sure the deprivation rates in Scotland, but I would imagine that they're on the English average, maybe above average. And maybe this is a demonstration of them trying to address those population health issues. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, and so, it, you know, it is interesting. It really is. Um, so, should we talk about the average um, wage in Scotland and, and England? Yes. Yeah. So the living costs in most Scottish cities 
um, are around 10% cheaper than those in popular UK cities. So it's cheaper to live in Scotland than it is to live in England. Council tax is lower. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, prescription charges were abolished in 2011. So, yeah, absolutely. There are, there are stark differences between the two countries. So what do you think about that, Connor? Yeah, um, there are massive differences, but then I think it's also right that we point out the similarities as well. Because, you know, regardless of the differences, regardless of us technically being separate countries, there are a lot that unite us. You know, we have a, we have a shared monarch, we have a shared prime minister, we have, you know, we're governed by the same cabinet, the same executive branch. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, so generally speaking, um, the cost of housing is, is cheaper in Scotland, the council tax is lower, so it does make it quite an attractive place to think about your future and where you p- would potentially live. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, in in about a year or so, I will be applying to universities and I'll be looking for universities. And at the moment, you know, universities in Scotland are more appealing, not only for kind of, not exactly aesthetic reasons, but they look nicer, you know, in rural areas. That's kind of my, my scene that I quite like. Um, and so they are appealing. Yeah. Now, what? Sorry, go on. Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think another point is that I don't know what the percentage is, but there's certainly examples of of people that are mobile, so they go to a particular university, not necessarily from where they grew up, and end up staying in that city. Right. So I've worked with colleagues that's come from the southeast. Have come to university in Manchester. They've gone through the university system and ended up living in that area. Right. Yeah, and I suppose that's a positive thing as well because it can boost that economy. Well, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's it's social mobilisation, isn't it? And, yeah. And that's how we get to mix with people that we wouldn't have mixed with before. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it is interesting, you know, economically how different the two nations are. Um, and there are, you know, more differences as well. So when we was talking about kind of the the average wage for like Scotland and and, and Wales, uh, Scotland and Wales, sorry, uh, England and Scotland, um, as well as that, you know, when we were saying that the prior for Scotland to afford these free kind of kind of free, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. like th- free services, yeah, and they had to prioritise other things. Do you think England's priorities are different? We had a conversation before where you know. Is it is it common that England pr- like prefers and prioritises like vast motorways that connects the, the the country? What do you think? Yeah, so it's quite um, multifaceted, I would say, because so if we take where we live in Greater Manchester, Greater Manchester has got devolved powers to a certain extent, as is Liverpool, but we're only allowed to make certain decisions about certain things. Still, we're influenced by national policy. Um, And interestingly, we did look up that. So, as as each parliament, how much do they spend on their population uh, as a proportion of the uh, public spending that's um, open to them? And in 21-22, 
Public spending per person in England was £11,549. In Scotland, this was 13881 which demonstrates the fact that Scotland has looked at the public purse and said, no, we're going to spend more. How they afford to do so is a, is a different issue. Interestingly, within England... That average spend per person of 11549 is, uh, if you're looking at it into more detail, the lowest spend is in East Midlands, which is 10000 per person. And guess what? The highest is in London, 13000 per person from the public purse. So that does show regional differences within England. And regional inequality, you know, between different people. Absolutely. And do you think, taking that in mind, do you think that the the region that you were born in, the region that you grew up in, do you think that kind of affects your ability to kind of climb to the position you want to be in society? I think that was certainly true uh, many years ago when... Uh, your accent was very important and classified you. So it, you, you could only be a broadcaster if you spoke the Queen's English. I think that's eroded quite a lot. And I think there's a lot more acceptance of regional differences. And also there's regions taking more powers from Westminster yeah. and focusing more on their population within a, a smaller geographical area. So we were discussing, do we, are we English? Are we British? Are we Northwestern? Are we Mancunians? Are we Boltonians? Are we Rochdalians? What do you think? See, me personally, I think it depends on who asks. If it's somebody in, in, in from Britain, from the UK, I'd say I'm from Greater Manchester or I'm from Rochdale. But if it's someone from beyond the shores, from a different mm -hmm. country perhaps, uh, I wouldn't classify myself as English. I'd say I'm British. I'm from Britain. I wouldn't say I'm from England. Now, I don't know if that's because, you know, my heritage is fairly multicultural. But right now, from where I am, I would classify myself as a British person. I would never come... Well, I would if, say, football was, was on, you know, the World Cup, the Euros, I would, I would classify myself as English and I'd align myself yeah. to England. Yeah. But other than that, I'd consider myself British. What what about you? Um, I think I might be slightly more English than British, possibly. Right, yeah. Maybe because of my age, I don't know. Um, but I think I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm English first, but then I would define myself as belonging to the northwest. I see that. I feel strong affiliation to the northwest part of England. And would you do you think that's uh, the generational difference between us, or do you think it's kind of like the the genetical difference? Is that a word? Genetic that that, that doesn't sound well. It's it's your heritage. Yeah, heritage. It? Yeah. Or do you think it's do you think it's it's generational or to do with heritage? Why we have that difference? I, I think it's. Possibly both. So I can trace my ancestors back a largely static. They're a bit of Scottish, possibly a bit of French, but we're going way back. Yeah. So first, second, third generation, they're all from the northwest. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I suppose my heritage is strong, more strongly associated with English yeah. than being a Briton. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, Which it, is different from each person, isn't it? And and maybe um, the Bally side of the family, who originate from Hungary, would have a different view of that. Yeah, and I wonder if we had a, a Scottish person with us today. Yes. I wonder if we asked somebody from Scotland the same question. Yes. Would they say, I'm from Edinburgh, I'm from Glasgow, I'm from Scotland, or I'm from Britain, or the UK... And that would be an interesting insight. Again, like I've like I've stressed before, please, if you're Scottish, give us an email and yeah. let us know because every day is a learning day, you know. Yeah. Um, now, moving on from that, mm. um, what we would like to discuss is religious differences yeah. and or, or, or similarities, differences or similarities um, between England and Scotland. So, um, a recent kind of uh, census, would you call it? Yeah. Uh, has discovered that um, religious affiliation in England and Scotland has declined sharply. Um, so it now says, you know, statistics now say that 14% of Britons identified themselves as Church of England now. Just 14%. Now that's that's a very low percentage. Um, as That's down from the 31% just 15 years ago. Now, if these figures are accurate, which is highly likely, now that's a sharp decline in, you know, the percentage of people following religion. Mm. Especially to say that, you know, everything this country stands for really was built on the back of religion. You know, the church had great significance even just 50 years ago, really. Mm. Um, And it's similar in Scotland. So the Church of Scotland, uh, referred to as, I I believe it's the Kirk, Um, The Church of Scotland numbers have also fell from 31% in 2002 to 18%. Now, these trends are fairly similar. There's not much of a difference between Mm. 14% and 18%. Mm. And so could this kind of signal that, although England and Scotland are fairly different economically and in the way they spend the money and in some of the culture, in terms of religion, very similar. Um... So, yeah, so somebody from uh, a man called Ian Montague um, from the Scotsen, um, like, company, I believe it is, he, a quote from him, the decline in religious identity in Scotland has been mostly keen felt by the Kirk, as fewer and fewer people choose to describe themselves as Church of Scotland by default. Um, He goes on to say, as each new generation coming through is consistently less religious than the last, it's hard to imagine this trend coming to a halt in the near future. Now, what he what he's suggesting, what what his research is suggesting, that religion as a whole is on the decline. Yeah. Do you think that between the two countries, do you think that together we could see an end to Christianity at some point? Well, certainly the evidence suggests that, and I I wonder why. Right. Yeah. Why is it declining so sharply? Is it the fact that we're becoming more sophisticated, that we don't have, um, we don't accept faith and we question more? Yeah, yeah. Is it the fact that terrible things happen in the world and therefore people think, well, if there was a God, he wouldn't let this happen? Yeah, very true, yeah. Um, 
And uh, as obviously as research says, like younger people are more prone to reject religion yeah. compared to older people. Now, speaking from personal experiences, for a long time I'd consider myself what they called ambivalent, which is like religiously confused. Um, I wasn't really sure what to believe in. When I was younger, I was baptised Catholic, uh, and I, I believe I'm a non-practising Catholic now. Um, but it is a difficult topic, especially for young people, because we are becoming a more secular society. We are becoming a more multi-faith society, multi-beliefs you know, beliefs and stuff like that. And I wonder, I wonder if this is to do with why religion has taken a fall in both countries similarly. Because although they are, the Church of England and the Church of Scotland are two separate religious institutions, yeah. yet the statistics are very similar. They are. So it shows a trend, doesn't it? It does. But from a young person's point of view, can you highlight why the significance of religion has, is less relevant in your life or amongst your peers? Yeah. Is it seen as irrelevant or it was like the centre of everybody's life was religion? Yeah. Going back in history. Well, I was born, I went into a Catholic nursery. I went in, I then went to a Catholic primary school. I then went to a Catholic secondary school and now I'm in a non-religious space, yes. um, sixth form. So you'd expect me to kind of carry them religious values with me because yes. I've had religion surrounded, you know, from a young yeah. age. We used to go to church on Christmas Eve and yeah. more generally when I was younger. And I think the trend is the problem of evil. I mean, we, we don't want to turn into philosophers on a podcast, but the problem of evil is a massive challenge, not just that our generation pours to, uh, you know, religion and the theist, the, the, the classical theist God, but... You know, you look at, say, events going on right now, like the earth is it the earthquake, earthquake. in Turkey and in Syria. Syria, awful, tragic disasters. And I suppose the question is, how can an omnipotent and omnibenevolent God let this happen? You know what I mean? And like you said before, I think it is that we are questioning more. We have the ability to question. You know, we live in a democracy where... We can question the ideas of the state and religion, and I think that's a positive change. It is a positive change, but do you not see, or maybe I'm seeing it from my perspective, well, obviously I'm seeing it from my perspective, that religion was like a protection from evil. Yeah, I, d I understand that. I completely do. And it, it's peace of mind as well for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and have you heard the phrase, God works in mysterious ways? I have, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he does allow things to happen is all in the greater scheme of things that young people that are taken or die do are taken care of. Very true. And, you know, that is an argument to kind of put against is it. Is it a believable argument? Well, it doesn't seem believable. I mean, um, so, basically... I study philosophy at A level and, you know, we've, we've very recently done the problem of evil and we've studied it and we've, we've looked into it. Um, and a very, you know, very, very strong atheist views suggest that, that, like, the idea of atheism isn't just rejecting the idea of mm. a god. The idea of atheism is saying, well, I don't believe in a god, but even if I do believe in a god... I do not want to worship someone that allows evil to exist. 
or allows evil to happen. And some people would also point to that regardless of whether it's part of a grand scheme of plans, that doesn't point to a loving God. It points to a more malevolent God, a God of evil. But don't you think that life is about the balance between good and evil? It certainly is. and It's not possible to eliminate evil because then you're taking away the freedom of will. Very true. But if there was a God of ultimate power, yeah. then that God, would he not be able to give us a lower dosage of evil that could still teach us the life lessons that evil teaches us today? For example, in philosophy, we learn about natural evil and moral evil. Moral evil caused by humans and natural evil caused by nature. Now, like you say, yes, you know, evil and bad things do teach us lessons. But if a forest fire that nobody can see, nobody can witness, kills uh, a baby deer, a thorn, what lesson is that teaching? What lesson is that teaching to the average human? Well, I think it goes, I think, well, in nature, I don't know whether you class it as evil, but it's survival of the fittest, isn't it? Very true. And it's also about eating other animals to survive. I don't class that as evil. I think evil can either be through nature or nurture. Right. So I don't think it's possible to eliminate evil because evil originates from either at conception it's almost like a lottery ball isn't it 50% of the DNA gets thrown with 50% of the DNA and it all gets mixed up yeah and everybody is an individual no two people are the same yeah so it it stands to reason that everybody's wired differently right and therefore, by that chance, somebody could be wired that doesn't have that sense of conscience or can accept right and wrong. They just, it's missing in them. Right. So that's the nature argument. The, yeah. The nurture argument is a child is terribly neglected, abused, see things that they shouldn't, etc., etc., that then leads them to replicate that behaviour. Yeah, very true, yeah. And I think that, that that conversation that we just had highlights potentially why um, younger people are straying away from religion. Yeah. Because like we said, we we now have the opportunity to, 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 to challenge, to speak out yeah. and to discuss. Which, and again, we kind of strayed away from the topic of, you know, Scotland and, and, and England's relations. But it does suggest why we have that kind of similarity. Because... You know, Britain, the UK as a whole, is is a democratic system. It's one of the world's leading democracies. We're in the G7. We're in, you know, a strong member of the G20 as well, another kind of political global institutions. Yeah. And I think that, that, that highlights the, the kind of unity between England and Scotland, that we, we have these shared values. We have these shared values of democracy yeah. and the idea of challenging. So, yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, though, is that the Kirk has seen a decline, the Church of England has seen a decline. But when we looked at the statistics, Catholicism and other faiths, they've remained more constant, haven't True. they? Yeah. They haven't seen the same dramatic decline. 
I suppose some people see religion, certainly when you look back in history, this is definitely true. It was about power and control over the people, wasn't it? Yeah. So maybe younger people are thinking, no, they're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own mind up. Yeah, true, yeah. 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 Where for other people, religion is a comfort. It's a way of guiding you through your life. Yeah, certainly. It's... Um, and also... It's a way of comforting yourself, possibly. Maybe we delude ourselves, I don't know. But it's also that your life isn't finite. True, yeah. yeah that yeah. there's some comfort that if you have to face death, which we all have to do at some point in our lives, that it isn't the end. Yeah, I see that. I see that, yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is interesting that there are similarities between England and, and Scotland and different yeah. faith groups. So, um, on that note, um, thank you for listening to Pod Save the King. Um, if you have any issues or you want to bring up anything or you want to add anything, if you know you are a religious believer or a non-religious believer, please send us an email at podsavetheking22 at gmail.com. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. So uh, that's a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you.